and for this flight to, um, for the plane just to be uh, working properly so they can get on that flight and get all their connections, God, and bring them back safely. I pray that you'll be with Shelby during this pregnancy, Lord, and you'll touch her body and put your hands of healing on her and that she will have, uh, she will be healthy, her body will be healthy, and the baby will be healthy, God. And we pray that um, wherever they are when they come back, God, that you would just put your hands of blessing on them as they await uh, the birth of their newest member of their family. So, Lord, I pray that you watch over them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, hey, um, we are in a series called The Word and the Spirit. And so we've been going on this now for a couple months. Believe it, I think this is week, week eight already. And um, the kind of the whole premise of this series is, can we have the Word without the Spirit? No. Can we have the Spirit without the Word? No. We need them both. And we need them both kind of working in our lives um, together. And we don't want to overemphasize either one, Word or the Spirit. Uh, we just want to um, trust the Lord as He um, brings both the Word of God and the Spirit of God into our lives that we would be the full, um, have the full impact of, of, who, of His presence in our lives. The last couple of weeks... We've been looking at a few passages in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to look at one more today, and then we're going to move on uh, to something else next week. But Romans chapter 8, and we're going to just look at a couple of verses today, uh, and verses 26 and 27 of Romans 8 is what we're going to get to in just a minute. I, uh, earlier this week, I got an uh, email, and um, it was from Crossway. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that organization. It's, uh, John Piper is associated with there. Anyways, every once in a while I just get an email, and this one popped up, and usually I don't really even take time to read them. Um, but this one, the question, it, it, the, or the title of the email was really intriguing. It said, um, it said, what is the, this is the devil's trickiest question, was the title of the email. This is a devil's trickiest question. I thought, oh, click. I'm going to read that article. And the answer, to, the answer to that question, or what is the devil's trickiest question, is this in, in the article. It said, what would you lose if you fully follow after Jesus? That was, that was, the, like, that was the question that the devil asks people. Like billions, the, the article went on to say billions of people have been misled by this question over the years. What would you lose to fully follow after Jesus? And, and so I thought that was a, that was a pretty tricky question, um, a pretty deceitful question. And, the, and it's really a question he's been, he's been talking about since the beginning, right? That's the same question he asked Adam and Eve, even right from the beginning. Um, does God really know what he's talking about? If you follow God's ways fully, is that like really the best plan? And so that's kind of what this series is all about, though, that we're, that we're doing here. It's kind of to combat questions like that, that uh, do we really want to follow after Jesus? And the truth of it is, is if we do follow after Jesus, if we're fully all in on Jesus, there's going to be a cost, 
isn't it? Jesus himself said that uh, in, the, in the Gospels, that if you want to follow after me, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to count the cost. There's a cost to following after Jesus. And, um, but yet, like, there's not only deficit in following Jesus, there's benefit, there's reward to following after him. And that's kind of really what this series is, 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 is uh, the point of this series is when we are truly following after the Lord and we truly have 100% of his spirit just filling us on a regular basis, his presence is there, and we're, and we're immersed in the word of God, just, just reading and studying and memorizing and meditating upon it, um, then we're going to get all sorts of good stuff coming into our lives. There's going to be so much blessing in our lives. And that's really what I'm hoping that we'll see as we continue on a few more weeks uh, through this series. Um, Today, we're going to ask a question and answer it, hopefully. It's something that I was talking about at the beginning of this series, just briefly, and we're going to dig into it a little bit more, and that's intercession. What is intercession? We're going to talk about that question and we're going to answer that question as we go along um, this morning. So if you're there in Romans 8, 26 and 27, we're going to read that in just a minute. But I want to ask and begin to answer this question before we get there. What is intercession? Well, here's one definition, okay? For a long time, and I'm going to read this, it has been long regarded as a form of intensified prayer. And this is true as long as there is great emphasis on the word intensified. So intercession is, would be, I would call it a subset of prayer. Okay, all of us are, are called to pray. We're, we're commanded to pray. It should, prayer should be a part of our everyday lives as believers. Um, intercession is, is um, an intensified form of prayer. It's, a, it's, a, it's not something that probably every single one of us will do on a regular basis, but it's something that each of us should actually look into to see if God would want that to be part of our lives. Um, and um, there's really three, and again, this is just one definition, but there's really three ingredients that kind of make up intercession, and this is in your notes if you're looking at that. Um, that three ingredients that's not necessarily found in just generalized prayer. Okay, here's the three. Identification, agony, and authority. Okay, you, we, you probably like two of those three. Maybe you don't like the middle one. <laughs> Let me explain what I'm talking about. First thing, the first ingredient in, in uh, intercession is identification. And here's a quick definition. The identification of the intercessor with the ones for whom he or she prays, okay? It's an identification. Uh, The intercessor, I'll say it like this, is able to plead effectively, and and we're going to talk more about this pleading and groaning and all kinds of stuff like that in just a minute, but just take, take it now. The intercessor is able to plead effectively because they give their life uh, for those that they are pleading for, um, having either gone through a similar circumstance themselves or so much placed their um, 
heart and their mind and wrap around whatever situation they're praying for. It's as if they've gone through that. So a good example of this already would be with Mark and Shelby. Okay, so we could intercede on behalf of Mark and Shelby that their plane gets back safely, that Shelby has a healthy pregnancy. Um, You can identify with them. Even if you've never walked in their shoes before, we can we can identify with them in the sense that we will plead, plead, plead before the Father for them. It's an intensified version of prayer. Um, and this really is seen perfectly in Jesus, isn't it? All through Jesus' life, and there was spe- especially there were specific times in his life where he really identified with those that he came to save. Here's the second ingredient. It's agony. Agony. Um, And here's a little bit of a word on this. Receiving the burdens of those around us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So you can see that it's a little bit more intensified than just, oh Lord, please heal so-and-so's toothache. It's more than that. It's an intensified version. It's actually the Holy Spirit um, actually places within the intercessor the agony and the burdens of those they're trying to intercede for. I was reading a book, this is many years ago, I was reading this book talking about how sometimes God speaks to us, and one of the ways he said is sometimes you might get a, an ache or a pain in your body that just came out of nowhere. Like, where'd that ache or pain come from? I've never had, you know, I've never had a pain in my leg before, and all of a sudden I got this pain in my leg. Where'd that come from? And um, it could be that the Lord wants you to pray for somebody who has an ache in their leg. And maybe you don't know who that is, or maybe you do. And so you pray for it, and then it'll go away. It'll dissipate. And it was funny, uh, the guy who was, I was reading the book, was, he was getting older, and he said, the problem is, as I get older, I get more aches and pains, you know, just being older. So it's hard to identify that. So I wouldn't, you know, like go 100% on that. But it could be. It could be uh, somewhere where you just, um, there's a little bit of an agony in intercession. And the third ingredient is authority. And this is probably the one we're most familiar with, maybe. Um, it says this, so, or here's, here's the definition. So if the intercessor knows both the identification and the agony, he or she will also know authority. Because the intercessor so identifies with the sufferer and shares in their agony, they will experience an intense triumph from God allowing them to take authority over the situation and gaining victory over the burden. Basically acting as a representative of the grace of Jesus. Intercession, this is super important, so hear this now before we get to Romans 8. Intercession is not a substitute for sin, uh, there's only ever been one substitute for the world's sin, and that's Jesus himself. So we do, not, we do not step into Jesus' place to be a substitute when we intercede for somebody. Um, but intercession is a representation of that divine forgiveness and mercy and grace. And we can step into that role. And I would go a step further to say that that intercession is only attainable through the ongoing ministry and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives when He works through us. 
So, to learn about the ministry of intercession, uh, we need to go right to the source, which is the Holy Spirit. So now we're going to go to Romans 8, verse 26 and 27, and we'll read a few verses here. Romans 8, 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So in this short passage, just these two verses, uh, we're going to see four quick aspects of the Spirit's intercession. Do we want to grow in our intensified prayer in our intercession? If so, the best way to do that is to learn from uh, the Holy Spirit himself. And so that's what we're going to do. Four quick ways in which we can uh, grow in our intercession, um, learning from the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Spirit <clears throat> intercedes on our behalf. Okay, this is important. Verse 26, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. The first thing we, we need to understand here, um, why does the Holy Spirit intercede on our behalf? He does it because he loves us, because he wants the best for us, um, because he is for us, not against us, because he is on our side. The Spirit helps us, in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So, meaning this, when our prayers are ineffective, I don't have you ever experienced this? You, you sit down to pray, and you just can't, you, your mind is distracted, you just can't get, in, get into that, the groove of prayer, if you will. Um, have, has anybody ever experienced that, or you just like fully immersed in prayer all the time? It's, prayer is difficult sometimes. There's so much distraction going on in our minds, um, the busyness of our lives, um, that we've got you know, our flesh working against us. We've got the devil trying to distract us and the demons. Um, prayer is difficult. And so that's where this verse just shines, doesn't it? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. When our prayers are ineffective, which they are sometimes, His prayers are effective. Um, this particular word here in verse 26, the Spirit helps, that word help. It's only found twice in the whole Bible, or I should say at least in the whole New Testament. And um, it's, a, it's an interesting word um, found here, and the other time it's found is in Luke chapter 10, verse 40. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, it's an interesting story. It's the one where um, Mary and Martha, two sisters, are uh, Jesus and his disciples came to visit them. And Mary and Martha are in the they're in their house, right? And uh, Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha, do you remember what she's doing? She's up getting food ready, preparing, because Jesus has come. So she wants to make things special for Jesus. Nothing wrong with that, right? And so Martha, but but Martha goes, "Hey Jesus, tell Mary to get up and help me, help me serve." That's where the other form of this word is, um, which is an interesting. Um, usage of the word, but and then and then it's here in in our passage today. Um, the word means um, <clears throat> to assist. <clears throat> excuse me, to assist or come to the aid of someone. 
So think about that in the terms of what Martha was asking. Let Mary assist me. Okay, that seems pretty everyday life. It seems pretty normal that she would ask that. Because it doesn't seem like it's a really big deal in that um, context. But here in Romans 8, it's used of the Holy Spirit to help us how? In prayer, right? So we're really praying you're here, or Paul's asking us, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So when we can't pray on our own, when our prayers are ineffective, we can call out for help from the Holy Spirit. That's pretty, that's pretty great. That's a pretty good benefit um, of having the Spirit in us. Now listen, it doesn't mean that the Spirit prays <clears throat> for us. It doesn't mean that He prays instead of us. But it means that He intercedes for us. It means that He assists us. It means that He supports us in our prayers. Uh, when we do not know what to pray for, when, or maybe we don't have the strength, uh, maybe we're praying for something particularly difficult, <clears throat> It's when the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. He identifies with our weakness. So remember, remember that first ingredient, identification? Here we see it right here. The Spirit identifies with us in our weakness and comes to our aid. He pleads on behalf of us to the Father. So maybe we're sick and we need healing or we're weary, we're, we're, we're tired, we're worried over something, uh, maybe we're full of guilt or shame over something, this is when the Holy Spirit will come and he will literally plead, intercede on our behalf to the Father. And part of um, what he is pleading for us is that we would fully understand the message that Jesus has for us. Um, do you remember there's a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, where Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you. He's talking about how, how Jesus ministered to him. My grace is sufficient for you. Um, power is perfected in weakness. Do you remember that verse? Um, he goes on to say, for when I was weak, what? He is strong. And that's what we're talking about here. When, when we're weak, He is strong. When our prayers are ineffective, His are effective. The Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Secondly, um, we've seen how the Spirit intercedes for us in verse 26. Number two, He intercedes with groanings. With groanings. This is a little bit strange, <clears throat> excuse me, to be, to be quite honest. Uh, verse 26, because we, shoot, we do not know what we pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes with us with unspoken groanings. <clears throat> it's a little bit of a strange um, phrase here. Um, what, is it, what does it mean that the Spirit groans for us? I think, it's, uh, I think it simply means this. When we don't know what to pray for, or when we don't know how to pray, or for some reason we're unable to pray, the Spirit intercedes with us, uh, for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. The question to me is, where do these groanings originate? Do they come from the Spirit, or do they come from us? Or could it be 
as we groan, like verse 23, go back up to verse 23, not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as the firstfruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our body. So maybe as we're groaning, the Spirit groans with us. And it's really weird. I don't fully understand what this means. I don't fully have a good definition I can just give you. What does it mean to groan? I, but I do think, at least in part, it's this. <clears throat> and maybe you've experienced this before. Maybe we can't define it with words, but we can only define it with our experiences. Maybe it's one of these times. But maybe it's when we get so, we're so overwhelmed or we're so burdened with something that we just got to cry out to God. Oh, God. I don't have the words. I don't know what to say. I don't even know how to express it. But I just, oh, God. God, 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 God. Help me, help me, help me, help me. I kind of think that's what it is. I kind of think it's just we can't express it. And the good thing at at those times, um, what this verse is telling us, is that we don't have to express it. We don't have to always have the perfect words. Because the Spirit helps us and He groans right along with us. This is when the Spirit steps in and He begins to intercede for us. And this is the second stage that we just talked about the agony stage, the groanings. I don't think necessarily belong to the Spirit. I think there are groanings. But the Holy Spirit takes them on as if they did belong to Him. He bears our burdens and He walks with us through them. And He takes our, our sometimes weak and ineffectual prayers and He makes them into effectual intercession before the throne of the Father. Which is the third part here, uh, the third feature, I guess, of intercession. The Spirit's intercession reaches the heart of God. Verse 27, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit's intercession reaches the heart of God. Isn't it encouraging to be reminded that the Spirit is interceding for us? And as great as that is, and that's great, it gets even better because if you skip down to verse 34, let me read that. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. And he also, listen, he is also at the right hand of God and what? Yeah, so not only is the Spirit interceding for us, Jesus is interceding for us. We get, look at, look at two-thirds of the Trinity are constantly interceding on our behalf. Why? Why would they do that? Why do they care so much about us? They love us. They want the best for us. We've already said that. And unlike our ineffectual prayers, the prayers of the Holy Spirit and the prayers of Jesus are perfect. They always reach the heart of God. And it, when, um, 
when their prayers reach the heart of God, it's what it's doing. It's linking our hearts to the Father's heart. To bring us to the point where our hearts and our minds and our desires are connected to the Father through His Spirit and through our Savior, Jesus. And we, we realize that divine action is being uh, taken every time we cry out in prayer. It attaches our hearts to His. Some of us may have a long history of calling out to God. Some of you are prayer warriors. You've been praying for many, many, many years. I know Pastor Dave, Pastor Donna. Oh, sorry, you don't like when I say that. Uh, Pastors Dave and his wife, Donna. <laughs> They're prayer warriors. They've been prayer, prayer warriors for many, many, many years. And I know others of you here are as well. And... Um, So we, we call out to him, and in, in, um, in his time, he's always going to give an answer to every prayer that we pray, because the Spirit is interceding for us, and that's the place we encounter God's heart, and that's the place it becomes intimacy with God, and also victory with the Almighty God. I think I might have said this a week or two ago, I can't remember now, but Sometimes I say things in my head and I don't actually say them with my mouth and I forget if I actually said it out loud. But So forgive me if I did say this, but uh, some people kind of shy away from this idea of having intimacy with God, like thinking, how could I, how could I have intimacy with the almighty creator of everything? And that kind of makes them uncomfortable. But to me, I'm like, I'm all in on that. Like, I want to know the heart of God. I want to know the deepest secrets of God. And, um, and this is that third stage we were talking about um, in intercession, authority and victory. As we pray in the Spirit, our hearts are joined with the Father's heart because the Spirit's intercession always reaches the heart of God. And since it reaches the heart of God, the Spirit... The Spirit's intercession, number four, um, achieves God's desires. And I love this. Achieves God's desires. Back to verse 27. Um, because the Spirit is interceding for the saints, He's interceding according to the will of God. Anytime we pray in the Spirit, we are praying in harmony with God's will. Now, um, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Um, but let me ask you a question. Is it possible for us to pray outside of the will of God? What do you think? Yeah, I think we do it sometimes. I think we pray outside of the will of God. Let me ask you a follow-up question. Is it possible for the Holy Spirit to pray outside of the will of God? No, emphatically no. Yeah, okay, so we sometimes can pray outside the will of God. We can pray selfish prayers. We can pray prayers that, that are not part of the will of God. And I don't want to get into the sovereignty of God and the will of God and all that. I'd love to have a conversation with you about that if you want. Um, those are fun. But, um, but I will say this, that I think it's possible for us to pray outside of the will of God. It is impossible for the Spirit to pray outside of the will of God. Why? 
Because he's God, right? He's, he's God. They're not going to contradict themselves. And so um, the Spirit's intercession, I'm confident in this statement. The Spirit's intercession always achieves God's desires. Okay? You can bank that. So if we're praying in the Spirit, you can be 100% sure that you are praying according to the will of God. Why? Because the Scripture says it, for one. The Holy Spirit um, draws us towards the heart of God, number two. So there we go. We have the Spirit and the Word working together. That's why they're so, both are so um, important in our lives. When the Spirit intercedes for us, it means that He directs and energizes and sustains our prayers. And the result will be that our prayers will achieve God's desires for us 100% of the time. Our spirit-led prayers will be according to the will of God. They will bring glory to the Father. They will find their basis and character in the Word of God. They will be faith-filled, and they will always find, always find God's answers, which is what we all want when we pray, isn't it? Okay, here's some final thoughts as we close in on this. Let's get a little bit practical. Uh, we've talked about some intercession. We've gave some definitions. We've talked about how the Spirit is our chief prime example for intercession. And now the question for us is, um, do we want to grow in intercession? And probably not everybody here, if I'm honest, probably not everybody here wants to do that. So if you don't want to, um, it's not a time to force you to grow, but maybe someday in your life the Lord will take you to that place where you will want to. So let's get a little bit practical here. How can we grow in our intercession if we desire to do that? And I would begin with, again, with a few questions. If we struggle, if any of us ever struggle in our prayer lives, um, if we find that extended prayer um, extended times of prayer, I should say, can be a challenge for us. Um, do we desire more uh, answered prayers from God? Do we desire for God to use us to intercede for others? And if that's us, um, then let me, let's get a little practical. And I'm going to give us a few ways in which we can grow in our intercession. Really, I'll say it like this, to grow in our intercession is to grow in our dependence upon the Holy Spirit to lead us into the presence of God and to follow the example of the Spirit's intercession for us. But this is not something that happens overnight. It's not like a quick fix, right? It's not like um, we can just attain it now. Not always, um, to become a person of prayer and intercession, I think, is a, life, a lifelong pursuit. It's something we really grow into. It's one of those things that the more we grow, the more we desire it, and then we take kind of those steps, right? You know, in our spiritual life, there's a lot of things like that. And this is one of those. Um, it's an area of our life that uh, we're continually cultivating and growing. Um, there's no formula to get us there. So the things I want to talk about right now, this is not 
You know, this is not a formula. This is not just kind of like a magic potion. Poof, now you're going to be an intercessor. intercessor. Uh, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, but with that said, I believe God does give us some helps along the way. Some ways that uh, we can work with the Holy Spirit as we cultivate growth. So here's four. And again, a few weeks ago, maybe seven or eight weeks ago, I, we talked about some of these briefly, and I'm going to go back into them and, and a little bit, little bit more here into each of these four ways that we can grow in our, our intensified prayer. Here's the first one, and it's probably my favorite, and that is abiding, abiding. We need to abide in the Lord. In John chapter 15, verse 17, Jesus said this. You probably know the verse. He said, if you abide or remain in me and my words abide or remain in you, you can ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. You like that verse? <laughs> I think we like the second part better than we like the first part. We can ask anything we want, and it will be given to us. Now, listen, the promise from Jesus to give us whatever we want is unlimited in its usage, okay? It's like, it's like uh, it never runs out, right? But its fulfillment is dependent upon something. What is it dependent upon? Abiding. It's dependent upon abiding. That's right. So before we say anything, you know, like, I want a new Camaro, all right? Will I get it? Well, what's the answer to that? Maybe. Come on, let's be positive. Maybe. <laughs> I'm kind of getting to the midlife crisis stage. Maybe. But it depends. It depends on me abiding in the Spirit. In all seriousness, um, understanding that only when we are truly and consistently abiding that is living and enduring in Jesus is that he's going to fulfill this promise, okay? This is not a, this is not a get out of jail free card. It's not like we can ask for anything we want to ask for. That's not what Jesus is saying here. It's saying that when we are truly abiding in Jesus, when his words are abiding in us, then the answer will always be yes. It will be done for you. And we can live out that promise of 1 John 2.6 that says the one who abides in him should walk just as he walks. So you want a definition of what it means to abide in Jesus? John, 1 John 2.6 gives us that we should walk just as he walked. Meaning, to truly abide in Jesus means that we're willing for the Holy Spirit to live through us the life that the Savior would have lived if he was living in our place. How do you like that one? Difficult? Yeah. Exciting? Absolutely. So we can keep this abiding fresh in our lives um, by spending a set time every day with God. That's one of the ways we can do it. And um, the, so the second help here that we have, so not only are we abiding in Jesus and his word is abiding in us, 
through this spirit. The second one, the second help here is that we, are, we need to wait on him, waiting in him. Um, Isaiah 40, 31, I read this first um, a few weeks ago. We were talking about this. I'll read it again. It's good. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. So we practiced this a little bit in our home group on Monday. <laughs> and um, it's hard. We, the consensus was it's hard. It's hard to, uh, to just sit in the presence of the Lord and wait on him. It's hard to do that. And there's a number of reasons why that you, you probably already have. Because, But I think one of them, ironically, is that we feel a little guilty. Like we should be doing something, right? Do you ever feel that way when you just sit down to pray and you just kind of, you don't know what to pray for, you just sit there quietly for a minute? It's almost like we feel like, well, I should be saying something. I should be doing something. I should be like reading my Bible right now. I should be like doing a hundred other things. But uh, yet scripture is full of times where people just sat and waited. I already referred to Mary when she was sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening to him like she wasn't doing anything else. And Martha got upset, right? But Jesus is like, she's found the best thing. And I'm not, that's not going to be taken away from her. And there's plenty of other examples where we just sit and wait. We abide in Jesus. We, we abide in his words. Let his words abide in us. We just sit in his presence. Don't feel guilty about that. Because, listen, it might take a while. We sit down and we begin to pray. We, we begin to wait. And our minds are still a little bit distracted. It might take a few minutes to get those distractions out of our minds. And... Uh, to find that quietness, to find that um, place in the presence of the Lord. It might take a bit. So don't, don't feel guilty. And I know that you're like, well, my life's busy. I don't have time to wait. You know, some, just in our little home group, some people were, were saying, you know, look, I just, I don't have, where can I find the time to do that? And I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. Um, but it's worth it if we can find those times. That's when the Spirit will begin to strengthen us and renew us through the Word and through His promises. He will reveal the ways in which He wants us to live. And one of the ways He may reveal uh, to us that we need to live is the third little help here, and that is confessing. Confessing. A famous verse, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that a great promise? Um, when Jesus died on the cross, I think it's in 1 Peter. I don't know the reference exactly. It says that when Jesus died on the cross, he died once for all time. For all the sins that we've ever committed, uh, past, present, future, um, not just for all, every one of us, right, but all the billions of people that have ever lived. Uh, Jesus died. And so when we, when we have, you know, fall short of the glory of God and, we, and a little bit of sin creeps into our lives, we're not held condemned for that sin. Why? Because there is no, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus died for it once and for all. So um, when we confess our sin... We're not pleading that God will forgive us of our sin. Why? 
He's already done that. Okay, get that in your head. We don't, we don't ask for forgiveness. He's already forgiven us. What we do is we acknowledge our sin before him. That's what confession is. I think Pastor Dave said it good. It was many, many years ago. I can't quote you exactly. But basically, you said something like, confessing is agreeing with God that we're a sinner. Something like that. And, and that stuck with me all these years. Um, confessing restores our purity because it, it doesn't change God, but it changes us when we confess. It reveals our dependency on the blood of Jesus to cleanse us of our sin. And the fourth help here, when we confess, it helps us in obeying all the promises of God. Obeying. Abiding, waiting, confessing, and obeying. Uh, again, back to John 15, this time verse 10. If you, Jesus said, if you keep my commands... You will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Any command that the Holy Spirit gives us to follow as we are abiding and waiting and confessing, if we hear His voice, if He begins to speak to us through His Word or through that still small voice, um, that command must be obeyed immediately, if possible. One of, uh, one of my spiritual heroes, if you will, uh, through the years, is a guy named Reese Howells. Now, if you guys have ever heard of him, probably many of you haven't. Uh, he, lived, he, was, he was born in um, Wales in 1879. He, his, so his ministry was mainly in the early part of the 20th century. Great, great man of faith. He was part of the Welsh revival in the early early 20th century, and um, much like Hudson Taylor, if you've heard of him, uh, he was a great man of faith, uh, Reese Howells, uh, and he lived, uh, he learned how to live um, in total dependence on God every day. I meant to bring, I have a book, I've, it's been sitting on my table all week, and I've been looking at it too long, I just forgot to bring it. It's a, it's a great book, it's called Inner. Reese Howell's Intercessor is what it's called. And um, it's a kind of a biography of his life. I'd encourage you to read it, although uh, with this asterisk, <laughs> if you read it, it's a hard book to read. Not that the words are hard to read, but the challenge of his life is hard to hear. It's one of those stories where you read it and you're like, I am not even saved <laughs> compared to this guy. I mean, he is so, it's a powerful story. Reese Howell's Intercessor. If you want to read it, um, I'd encourage you to do that. Otherwise, uh, let me summarize a little, real quick as we close, summarize a little bit of his story. Um, it was in 1906 that at the age of 25, Reese Howell first experienced the life-changing power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And um, there's many funny stories in the book, if you read it. There was this one time where uh, in, in that day, in the early 20th century, like men would go about wearing hats all the time. Um, and that's just what you did. If you went outside, you wore a hat. And one time the Lord told him, Reese, leave your hat at home. And he went, I, I can't do that. 
Like he just told God, I cannot do that, which is weird to us, right? Because that's not necessarily part of our culture anymore. So, but he, he ended up obeying and he left his hat at home. And every day for many, he would go out and minister and, and, and he had people he was ministering to. And he lived with his mom at that time. And uh, it was funny, every day he would get up to, to go out, and his mom would be waiting for him at the door with his hat in his hand and, and hold, like holding it, and he would go, I can't take my hat today, mom, and he would leave. He would go, just like, there are funny stories like that where we just kind of go, that's weird, but it, he, was, he was so in tune with the Lord. He, the Lord told him to do that, and he just obeyed. And there's other stories I don't have time to do, get into. Just read the book, you'll enjoy it, and be challenged. So, um, uh, he was at this conference, and the preacher was preaching from Ephesians chapter 2, and it was this verse, you have been made alive in Christ, you have been raised up with him, and you have been seated in the heavenly places. That was the, the verses that the pastor read, and the message just cut Reese Howells to the core when he heard that. The word of God, through the spirit of God, just spoke so powerfully in his life. And uh, he knew that he had been saved. He knew that he had been made alive in Christ. But he also knew that he had not yet been raised up to that place of power in heaven, as Ephesians 2, as the Word of God says. And so it was then that the Holy Spirit revealed to Reese Howells um, and showed him that place of splendor that no eyes, human eyes can ever look. And um, he said of this experience, and I'll just close with this quote. He said of this experience, it, it, it never dawned on me before that the Holy Ghost was a person exactly like the Savior and that he must come and dwell in flesh and blood. In fact, the church knows more about the Savior who was on the earth for 33 years than about the Holy Ghost who has been here 2,000 years. I had only thought of the Holy Ghost as an influence coming on meetings and bringing revival. I had never seen that he must live in bodies as the Savior lived in his body while on earth. Powerful. And it was at this moment where Reese Howells began his lifelong journey of discovering what it meant that the Holy Spirit would come and live in him. Not just on him, not just around him, but live in him. The ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit eventually led Reese Howells to understand what the prayer ministry of intercession was all about and what it meant to become an intercessor. Abiding, waiting, confessing, and obeying just helps that we've been given um, to grow in prayer and intercession. And it all begins with dependence upon the Spirit as He leads us into the presence of God. So let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name we come through the power of the Holy Spirit.